It's Sex and Sarah Rose. I'm Sarah Rose, and really quick before we get into this episode, I know you may have found my podcast because you were looking for some interesting information about sex to listen to, but what you may not know is that I actually work with a lot of men to help them tap into their inner badass, have the sexual confidence that they've always desired to have, and to know once and for all that she isn't faking it. I have two distinct programs to help men. The first is for men who are ready to take the first step towards igniting their powerful sexual energy and getting better in bed. It's called Sex Stallion Training and it's an online program for you to do on your own time in the privacy of your home without a partner. This is for men that are single, in a relationship, or dating people. The second is called Man on Fire, which is the only sex university just for men. This six month program is designed to help you become the ultimate sexual master. For six whole months, you train with me in live online sessions, and I will train you to be the best lover that she has ever had. So if you want the sex secrets that every woman wish you knew, and you wish that every woman had told you, this is where they are finally revealed. Check out more info at tantricactivation.com or just check out the show notes in the podcast app you're listening to this from now, and there will be links there for you. Thanks and enjoy the show. It's Sex and Sarah Rose, and I'm Sarah Rose here with Aaron Hickok. Hey, Aaron. Hi, Sarah Rose. Hey there. So I'm really excited today. We are talking about controlling relationships, how to spot them. Are you in one right now? Are you the one that is the controller even? And also the fun side of it all. How do we have relationships that feel amazing, healing, so much fun, and just the the blissed out experiences that we actually want instead. I am so excited for today's topic. Having uh, been in some controlling relationships myself, I am excited to share my perspective and hear, you know, your experiences as well. So yes, let's do it. Yeah. So I just have to start out with something a little off topic though. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'm sensing maybe juicy conversation. Erin, <sighs> I am having such good sex right now. Like, oh, such amazing sex. I, I just, it makes me so happy. <laughs> well, good sex will do that. <laughs> Would you like to tell me more? Uh, yeah. So... Hmm. What should I say about this? Yeah. Like I find that it's, it's, um, it's definitely not the easiest to find guys that are able to satisfy me in bed. (laughs) So that's probably, you know, understatement of the year, but (laughs) I have a lot of sex with a lot of people and I have a lot of fun when I'm having sex. And, you know, I would say like, yeah, I mean, COVID 2020 was a difficult year when it came to hooking up for sure. And so, you know, I was being very cautious, but definitely had my moments of like, I've just got to fuck, you know, and got on the apps and, you know, had my one night stands and just because I was like, I've got to fuck. And there was one guy that I had some fun with. Um, eh, a couple others were like, eh, definitely not going to do that again. Even the guy I had fun with, I was like, yeah, you know, like I had my fill. Right. Um, so I am most of the time somebody that like, I'll have sex once with somebody and then I'll like move on. If I really like, if I really enjoy the sex, um, like I'll have sex with people, the same person, maybe like 
two, three, four times a year, but then I've got like a rotation, you know, that's going on. So (laughs) there's like plenty of sex happening, but it's never really enough that I'm like, I want to just have sex with this person. Like, four or five times a week kind of thing and like I don't even want to have sex with anyone else because like I'm just so satisfied and like I'm craving having sex with this person and so I've been having that experience which has been super fun and yeah it's just it's rare like I mean even when I've been in relationships over the last few years I was still, you know, they weren't closed relationships. I was still having sex with other people. And so even though this person, I'm not in a relationship with him, he's the only person I'm having sex with and, like, the only person I have sex with. And, like, even this morning, like, I was super horny. And so – and he's out of town right now. And so – and plus, like, I wouldn't have had time to go have sex with him anyway – So I was just going to masturbate and like I wanted a picture or I wanted a video of him. And so I texted him, but it's super early where he was at or he's three hours behind me right now because he's not in town. And I was like, I want to see your cock. (laughs) So I texted him (laughs) and like he didn't respond right away, which it was like 630 in the morning there. And so I watched porn instead and got off to some porn that reminded me of him. And then he, as soon as I was done coming, of course, I get the message from him. And he's like, um, then he, he FaceTimed me and then I got to come again with him. And it was so much better with him than it was with the porn. And yeah, it's really hot. <laughs> Mm. A little morning, morning uh, enjoyment. <laughs> yeah. So that was my morning. <laughs> That's a great way to start the day, Sarah Rose. Really. I know. Yeah. And oh, definitely loving. Like, we have just such incredible chemistry. And I've talked about that before, like, how important having chemistry with somebody is. And it's not the only thing, but it is really important in a sexual relationship to have good chemistry with somebody. Um, And like our bodies just fit together really well. And it just makes it so easy. It's just like I have sex with him and it just feels like even the first time we had sex, like very first time we had sex, I had this incredible cervical orgasm that just brought me to tears, like literally tears streaming down my face. And I often cry when I have cervical orgasms and it's not a sadness thing. It's just so intense that I cry from the intensity and it's good intensity, but it's like, it's physical intensity, but it's also emotional intensity as well. And yeah, like, that was the first time we had sex that I had that experience. And it's just, he is, he cares so much about satisfying me. Like Mm. it does, like he will always make sure that I'm satisfied and it's not even just like, Oh, did you come? It's like, are you, <laughs> cause he knows like, it doesn't matter if I come, that doesn't mean I'm done. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if I come 15 times, I'm not done. Like there's God, there's for me, like there's this moment in my body where it's just like, yes, like I am satisfied and it's so much more fulfilling than an orgasm. And Like having those types of sexual experiences with somebody creates a lot of like closeness and um, all the feels for sure. (laughs) Feeling the feels. Yeah. I mean, being with someone who really cares that much about our satisfaction is like, I mean, I know that that 
definitely makes me want to be, you know, around that person a lot more. And boy, just hearing, hearing about the cervical orgasm, that stream of tears, like I, gosh, I know that it's this, this like deep release, this deep relief. Uh, it feels absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And it like knocks me out. And then I'm always like, oh shit, now I gotta, now I gotta make him come. <laughs> like, I just want to, like, <laughs> I just want to lay there in my bliss. <laughs> but I rally. <laughs> I'm sure that you do, Sarah. Rally to the occasion. <laughs> oh. But yeah, it's been amazing because I, like I'll have a lot of sex, but when it comes to tantric practices and my like I have I have natural tantric energy that just, you know, is part of me from my practices, but I often hold that back when I'm having sex with people that I'm not like really going deep with. Like most of the time I'll just show up for like a good fuck. And my tantric practices are typically something very sacred that is I experience with myself um, or some specific tantric lovers. And there aren't that many of them. And so like the first time when we were, not the first time we had sex, but the first time that I like really showed him that power and that energy of like, just like Kali energy coming out and it totally blew his mind. It was so much fun having sex with him and like seeing his reaction to me in that state. Oh my God, it was such a turn on for me to see him like that. And he fucking blew his mind. And he came back for more. <laughs> oh yeah, he wanted definitely wanted more. <laughs> so yeah, having fun. Congratulations! Having fun. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, for guys listening, like really satisfying her, like. I have men every day that are like, why did she quit having sex with me? She wasn't satisfied, you know? And like, and that is just the unfortunate truth. Like a turned on woman that is getting the kind of sex that like shakes her to her core, she's coming back for more and more and more and more. And like, if she's not getting that, she's, you know, every now and then she'll be horny enough to want a good fuck. And, but like, that's all you're going to get out of her. And if it's been enough letdowns, she's not even going to show up for that. So it is so incredibly important for men to know how to satisfy their partners. Um, clearly I've also done a lot of work myself to have, to be able to have incredible sex. Um, a lot of women are really shut down sexually. Um, they don't have healthy relationships with their sexuality. And so it can be very difficult for them to even, you know, open up if a man can satisfy them. So it definitely is both, like both, both people play a role in it. Um, but yeah, there's nothing like a good lover. Mm. It's so juicy, Sarah Rose. It gives me hope uh, to continue on my dating process and um, keep reaching out uh, to find somebody to find somebody to be with me and really be devoted to my satisfaction. And um, you know, I like how you said that it's both. It's both people. It's like this devotion to showing up, and each person is doing their own work, their own you know, um, shadow work or tantric practice or, you know, meditation, like whatever that is. And I think of it as this like really beautiful, um, like deeper surrender and then coming, coming closer together and surrender, surrendering more. It's like this, it makes me feel so, 
and juicy. <laughs> yes, Erin, the one, not, I mean, I don't say the one as in like, there's only one person for each of us. Cause I don't believe that's true, but there is one and many more out there that can satisfy you. So yeah. don't stop your journey. Continue on. Oh, I will. And I feel fueled in my journey by this <laughs> right now. <laughs> I feel fueled. <laughs> Yummy. Uh, yeah. And enjoying the juiciness and yumminess here and the comparison of that to um, very a very toxic and controlling relationship <laughs> that I was in for a long time with deeply unsatisfying sex. There is a night and day difference. And so all the work that I've done has paid off. And um, yeah, excited to go through this information and just talk about, you know, signs of a controlling relationship. So I am so glad that we're talking about this topic today. Um, I myself have been in controlling relationships. I've had friends in controlling relationships and I carry actually a lot of generational trauma that would, uh, that has in the past predisposed me to these kinds of relationships. So I think this is a super important topic uh, for us to be talking about because when our eyes are wide open, we can make the best choices for ourselves without avoiding, uh, with really just seeing what is and knowing that we're worth it, that we can make the choice that's going to be best for ourselves to serve us uh, in going forward. So I'm excited to jump in. Yeah, definitely. It's um, as someone who has been in that type of relationship and then um, gone through a series of other relationships of different flavors and, you know, you can definitely compare and contrast and just a way of looking at it. One of the, the main things for people to look at is, is this person trying to isolate you from your friends and family? Um, this is often a first step when somebody is controlling and it's because if they can isolate you from your friends and family, then they can weaken you because you don't have a support system. And that is so incredibly important to have, um, have a network of people that are looking out for you in your best interest and, and that you also will listen to. <laughs> I know I remember I had a, my best friend told me, no, you do not be in a relationship with this person. And I didn't listen to her and I did it anyway. And so, you know, I can't, I can't say that I wasn't warned, <laughs> but um, I didn't listen. So yeah, there's that too. I think this is such an incredibly important point um, for, for us just in our lives in general, like the connections that we maintain, the connections that we nurture, like they really do contribute to having the best possible lives for us if we set it up that way, right? We actually need to be bringing in the best people, the people who really have our best interests in mind, knowing who those people are and the people also who are willing to say to us, hey, like this is not working, right? This is like, we'll actually have the courage to confront us when something is going on. And these kinds of people are so incredibly valuable. Um, you know, the people even pay therapists or folks like that to be that voice of reason for them. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. I am definitely a big fan and a big proponent of having somebody in your life that like even outside of friends, like a therapist or a coach or somebody that can very objectively give you feedback and like help you through situations because if, when you're in a relationship, especially at the very beginning, it's hard to see clearly because you've got 
like I was just saying, you've got all the feels, right? <laughs> like you're, hormone soup. <laughs> yes, hormone soup. Love that. And you can't see clearly. This is why I will never commit to a relationship in the first four months because I just know like I don't have any control over what I'm seeing or doing. I'm like just being driven by biology and like I just I know that and so I'm like I'm just gonna like kind of just surrender to this time period and then I'll see clearly in a few months and then I'll make some really you know life life changing life altering decisions at that point <laughs> but having people on the external that can say like, Hey, like, this isn't cool. Like you, what what do you mean? They said that to you. What do you mean that they're upset that you're talking to your best friend or your brother or what, whoever, what do you mean that they don't want you to go out with your girlfriends? Like, that's not okay. And having people that will call you out on this and see clearly when you cannot. Yeah, I think this is important. I mean, coming from a very strong religious upbringing, you know, this is actually one of the distinguishing factors of a cult uh, is that they will isolate you from other communities, have everybody else be wrong. And that when you like, like you're, you're devoted to them, you cannot go to any place. There's no other resources like that's to me. Uh, as far as like definitions of the cult, like that is the number one thing is this isolation. And it's the reason why so much, so many times when I talk to people either about their relationships, their dating, or even their community, that maintaining those strong bonds in multiple areas of life, right? It's not just like, I really am. I know people get very excited when they're part of like a single community, um, but some of us can even create those kinds of like cult-like addictions where it's like, oh, this community is everything. I only hang out with this kind of person. You know, I do all of these things and people really do want that love and connection. I understand why people go for that, but it is not a healthy way to be in life. Like we really do need to have support and multiple perspectives from other people in other areas so that we can live a well-rounded life. And this goes double for uh, personal uh, romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, we're definitely driven by the tribal aspect of us and like that need for belonging. Um, And that definitely is a big part of, of why we seek out these cult-like communities Um, And this is why, you know, religions like Christianity are so effective because they, they draw on a person's need to belong. And it's like, okay, if we're, if you're here as part of this religion, you're in and everyone else is out. And that's how I was raised. It was very much like, this is this church that I belong to was the, not only was it like Christianity was, um, the, was acceptable. It was, it wasn't even that it was like, you had to be part of this church in order to be acceptable. And like other people, other denominations of Christianity, like they were wrong and they were on the outside. And so that is definitely um, setting, definitely set me up to then go out into the world and be in very controlling situations. Um, After I left Christianity, I went hardcore into uh, Kundalini yoga um, and the tradition um, as taught by Yogi Bhajan. And that is very cult-like as well. And it was, um, you know, you, you speak a, a language in that group that nobody else speaks. Like you greet each other with, in certain ways and you dress alike and, you know, your hair is the same and you eat the same foods. And like, it definitely has, um, very, very cult-like <laughs> tendencies in there. And so, you know, and it's not to say that everything about my upbringing in the Christian church was 
bad or wrong. And it's not to say that all of my experiences in Kundalini yoga were bad or wrong because of this. No, I had tremendous growth through the Kundalini yoga practices, like incredible. It actually got me out of the controlling relationship that I was in because it it empowered me, but it was like almost this strange dynamic of like really empowering me and yet at the same time isolating me from a large part of the world. Yeah, I think this is this too happens when we are in uh, controlling relationships. You know, I've been in a controlling relationship and I had an experience, uh, a traumatic experience with a, a sexual romantic partner of mine um, that was, that impacted me on such a deep level. And I had to run away from it. But the thing that I did is I ran right into the arms of another perpetrator, right? It's because I got used to that being the way that I related. It actually required for me a long period of time of taking a break from relationships and really going within, finding myself, building my own personal strength and my own personal practices and pulling from multiple different sources uh, to learn that because I was not willing to go back and do that again. I mean, literally, I like the day that I left this person is it's the same day that I met another man. It was like I had a big neon sign on my head that's like, be my perpetrator, right? Will you be my perpetrator? And I stepped right into the hands of another man uh, who did the, the very similar things, very controlling things that kept me separate. And thank goodness uh, I was able to uh, keep that time period pretty short in my life, you know, thanks to the support of um, some people in my family and some friends. Uh, and also I just got boring to my, to my person um, who I was with at that time uh, because I didn't, I knew that there was something that was really wrong, right? And I didn't, I, it became not fun for him uh, in that kind of relationship that he was ready to seek a different relationship. And I'm so grateful for that experience because it really did show me like, my strength and also my weakness, like where I really needed to, to build my muscle and being willing to confront people, being willing to stand up for what I need and to understand that when people are stepping on my, my needs, my basic needs, when they are telling me that like, I'm not worth that, or they can't do that. Like that's a freaking boundary. That's a no go. That means that this is not the right fit. And thank goodness I learned that and it did take some painful experiences to do that, uh, but it's made me incredibly passionate about relationships and nurturing the best relationships for us. It's like why I do what I do now because I see the way that we're perpetuating this, this trauma, like intergenerational trauma even, you know, through sexual abuse, through abuses of power, through um, even through different like churches and, and cult-like uh, communities that like I can see now how to step out of that and how to choose to move forward in a different way. But I wouldn't have been able to see it if I had not actually been in the front seat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, and it's important to educate yourself and understand all these different aspects that go into it. And chronic criticism is a, another one. So this can start small. Maybe it's, you know, and you just think like, oh, my partner just wants to try and help me be a better person. Like maybe you try to rationalize it, say it's not a big deal, but it can be things like, oh, they don't like the way you dress or um, they don't like your, your job or um, they don't like the way you smell or things like that. And it's like, well, then go find someone else that you do like how they fucking smell. Right. <laughs> and I think that, you know, when you're in a relationship with somebody, there's gonna come, things are going to come up that you're just like, you can't 100% like every single thing about another person, but 
are you constantly criticizing them about it? That's, that's the thing. And it's, I definitely was in that type of situation where I was criticized about um, my weight or my hair or what I wore, what I wanted to do for work, like if I was working out or not. Like I was criticized about all these things. And I mean, I'm talk- you're talking about somebody who's like 18 years old, modeling in New York City. Like it wasn't... there was from a physical perspective like there wasn't that much that this person should have been complaining about or criticizing me about right like um and yet it was constantly there just like the belittling bringing me down and like that that really does you it impacts your self-esteem when this person that you're with is constantly doing that um and so looking to see like do you feel accepted by your partner do you feel loved by your partner do you feel validated um if every single little thing that you do could use improvement in your partner's eyes then um you're definitely not being loved unconditionally, right? And it's not just like, I think it's okay to have clear yeses and nos in a relationship of like, you know, I just will not be in a relationship with somebody that X, Y, or Z. Okay, that's fine. Like we all have the right to our preferences, but then just don't be in a relationship with that person. And if you are choosing to be in relationship with them, then there needs to be this feeling of being accepted by your partner and valued and loved. Yeah, absolutely. If it's such a problem that you've got to bring it up every single day, then maybe choose a different relationship where that person shares the same value. I think a lot of us get stuck. It's like, we think that we can't find something. So we're going to like shape and mold this person into what we want them to be. And that is not healthy. I mean, that is quite often taking our own inner insecurities, our own issues with ourselves and projecting them onto another person. And that's not, that's not going to lead to a healthy relationship because it's first of all it's avoiding dealing with those issues within ourselves yeah and again coming back to the self-growth personal development healing inside of yourself over and over again like i don't know how many times we can say this and how important it is it starts inside of you and you know if you're listening to this and you're like oh my god maybe i'm doing that doing these things to my partner, then find ways to heal and heal yourself, heal your own wounding so that you're not projecting this onto other people. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really beautiful thing to, to request for our people because we can have compassion for ourselves. You know, controlling is, it doesn't just start uh, you know, those kinds of relationships, like it can, it can be like a dialed down version of it. Right. It's just like, Oh, I'm like pretty critical to those people outside of me. And you know what, in my head, I'm really critical of myself. And there are things that we can do when we have that kind of voice inside of ourselves to help heal ourselves and therefore be in a healing sort of way, a more compassionate way with all the people around us. And, um, it's possible. It's possible to heal from that, um, particularly because it usually has come from some sort of thing that happened to us when we were a kid. One of our caregivers uh, was really controlling with us. And so we adopted this sense of being controlling with other people because we picked that up. It is possible to heal it. And it's similar, though, to how when I work with guys that have performance anxiety or even women that have performance anxiety and it's like okay this pattern that's been created of whatever you're having uh, performance struggles around 
that might not ever completely go away, but you can create new, stronger patterns that you can choose instead of the old ones that you have. And you know, for me, like I'm very critical of myself. And so like I, I have such an internal dialogue of being really, really hard on myself, always pushing myself for more, to do better, to work harder, to reach more people, to make more money. Like the, and it's a, it's a constant push. Um, And there's like parts of that that I'm okay with. And then there's parts of it that I look at, I'm like, okay, this just isn't healthy. Like, how is this impacting my physical health? How does this impact my ability to uh, really enjoy a relationship with somebody, you know? And so I'm constantly like taking these aspects of myself and, and, and having these conversations, like, what do I want to keep and what do I not want to keep, you know, and looking at it uh, from that perspective and then noticing when those thoughts come up, when I'm in a relationship with somebody and like, okay, so I'm noticing in myself that I'm having critical thoughts and I don't want to project those onto my partner. And so what do I need to do internally so that I'm not so that I'm not doing that. So that way my partner feels like they are loved and accepted and like making that the norm instead of just, you know, constantly, um, you know, bringing things up. And so, um, you know, I think that's why I was able to be in a relationship for so long that was very critical is because I have those thoughts inside my own head already. And so by having that awareness and then doing the work to um, just to create new patterns doesn't mean that the old ones have necessarily gone away, but I've created relationships inside of myself with these sub-personalities that are there so that way they're not, they're not controlling me. Yeah, I like to call it like who's who's driving the bus right now? Who is driving the bus? Because I do have like my like resentful, angry teenager version of myself. I do have like my sweet, like little, like naive little girl version of myself. Like there's all these versions. And I think about them like all on a big bus, right? And then it's like sometimes I might I just like put my hand on my heart and I'm like, who's driving the bus right now? Who's driving the bus? Because I get to be the one who's driving the bus. And sometimes the teenager is driving by accident. Sometimes the hurt one is driving by accident and really like being able to come back to myself and like recognize, okay, I don't have to actually let this one drive. I love them. I see why they're there, right? But, and and I can accept that part of myself, but I don't have to let it drive. Another thing that comes up a lot in controlling relationships is veiled or overt threats against you or them. And so a lot of people are afraid of leaving a relationship um, because they're afraid of retaliation if they do that. And like, I have definitely been in that type of situation where I got myself into a relationship with somebody that was controlling and then I was afraid to leave because I was afraid of what they were going to do when they were mad that I had left. And it felt like I was just trying to manage the relationship or not even manage the relationship. It was like trying to, um, to mitigate damage by staying in the relationship. Yeah, that is a big freaking red flag right there. If you're staying to avoid harm, that is harmful in and of itself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, that can come across as emotional manipulation. It can be the threat of physical violence, but this happens a lot. It happens a lot. Um, when people are reliant on the partner for financial support, mm-hmm. um, they they feel like they can't leave. They're stuck with a controlling or abusive partner because if they, 
you know, if they leave or if they're left by them, um, they won't have access to their home or money that they need to survive. Um, they might be threatened by losing access to their children. And so they stay because of that. Um, so, you know, it's very scary to be in those types of situations. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think about, especially like the surge in this uh, situation over the past year where so many people are staying home longer um, with their partner and this rise in domestic violence. Um, you know, and thank goodness that there are there are resources uh, out there to support these kinds of situations. I know there's a lot of really great ones here in Austin. Um, you know, I've volunteered and fundraised for and know a lot of people who provide uh, support for women in these kinds of situations. And I think it is a testament, again, to making sure that we're nurturing uh, relationships with people and communities outside of us so that we can go and ask for help, so that we can ask for uh, support, um, and hopefully, you know, sooner than, than later. Um, you know, it's not ever going to be an easy situation to break off uh, that kind of relationship, but, you know, we can, if we're, if we're staying in it to mitigate potential damage from this person, you know, it's kind of like a band-aid, like being able to rip it off, uh, maybe put, put some things into place so that, that we can get the support that we need. And remember that we don't have to do it all alone. I think that's one of the things that, that shows up in this isolation part and this threat part is that the threat is valid because we think that we can't do it by ourselves. We think that we are dependent on the other. And um, yeah, it, and it does take a lot to ask for help, but I think that's, you know, we're, we're, we're in this together. Yeah, and that's where community is really important to have. And, um, and diverse community, I think, is important, like support from family, support from various types of friends, coworkers, all of that, um, because other, different people will have different perspectives and be able to help you in different ways and be able to provide different types of support. Um, you know, and some people may not want to say some part of your community may not want to say anything because they're the type of person that doesn't want to rock the boat. They don't want to try They don't want to risk ruining your friendship or you getting upset with them. Um, and you need to have strong people that, you know, will really help. Um, but as a, when somebody is being abused and they're in an abusive situation, it's really, really hard to, to get out. And so definitely getting professional help is really important because there can possibly only be so much that your friends and family and coworkers can do. And whereas having professional help can really get you where you need to, to be to get you out of that situation. There are people who have committed their lives to helping support people in situations like this. And I think that those are the people that are, you know, most important to go to um, in times like, like these, because, you know, regular, regular, if people have ha not had any kind of experience with this kind of thing, they're not going to know what kind of advice or support um, to offer. And especially if it's a very extreme uh, situation you want to go to you know you know you wouldn't you wouldn't hire an ice cream uh, shop to fix your car right like you'd want to be with people who know how to fix a car so I think that's important um, to remember if if we are in these kinds of situations to really um, you know ask people for emotional support from people who are good at that but really if this is if this is kind of a, a, a dangerous situation that there is a lot of fear um, that getting that professional um, counseling, um, a local community, something like that, especially if, you know, there's kids involved or um, really high stakes uh, in the situation. Mm -hmm, definitely. And another thing to look out for is making acceptance 
caring and attraction conditional. So only um, giving you these types of love and attraction things if you are doing certain things, right? So I don't want to have sex with you because you've gained 10 pounds or um, I'm not attracted to you because you're legs aren't shaved or your hair isn't washed, right? Or um, I'm not interested in you because you're not making those sales at work anymore like you were, um, you know, or if you had, if you only had a better career, then you'd be more interesting and um, I'd be more proud of like introducing you to my friends, things like that. Um, making this very conditional, like if you were just better, then you know you'd be good enough for me, basically. Uh, I feel angry hearing that. Like quite honestly, it's like we are all worthy of love and affection, and that's what relationships are created for. That we have a safe harbor, a safe space to be with our partners, and if that space is only safe if we're like meeting certain standards for them. I mean, this seems almost like the threat from before, like maybe a toned down version of it. Um, that is, yeah, I feel angry, <laughs> quite honestly. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, it's like if you have certain requirements for somebody that you're in relationship, then just be in a relationship with somebody that meets those requirements, right? Like don't be in relationship with somebody that you're like, okay, well, I don't feel like we're in alignment for a relationship. Um, and I think that's that's different than being controlling where you're like in it and you're trying to change this person. And I think that's really what a lot of this comes down to is, are you trying to change a person? And that's not cool. Like if somebody is inspired to change themselves, if somebody is like excited to do personal development work or you know, go to the gym or continue their education, things like that. Great. Like be excited for them, but to be like, oh, well, you're not good enough for me because you're not doing these things. And yet here I am still in a relationship with you, but I'm just making you feel like shit about it. That's very controlling. Yeah. That's, and it's not you. It's really not useful for either person. Gosh, break it off. Break it off. <laughs> Moving on. Next, <laughs> Next. opportunity, right? It's just, uh, uh. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, okay, here's another one. Spying, snooping, requiring constant disclosure. So like feeling like you have the right to know like everything they're doing at every moment, you know? And again, I think this can almost be a fine line with like, oh, well, there's just, they're so into me and like, they just are interested and they're curious about my life. And, and, but like, it can definitely pass that line into being very controlling. And, you know, it's more of like this police state that you're living in of like, you know, I've got to um, share everything. And it is, it's a violation of boundaries. Yeah. And also, isn't trust something we want in relationship? I mean, I feel like, yeah, I just, no, I will not put up with that kind of behavior. If a person cannot trust me to keep my word, then they're not trusting who I am as a person. And they're not worthy of having my time and my attention. I mean, it just... Wow. Ugh, some of these just get me so mad. I think it's because it reminds me of how people have been with me. Particularly, I had two relationships that like hit some of these things. And it's just like, I will absolutely not put up with this uh, anymore in my life. Like if people are snooping, especially I see like, and they make fun of it sometimes on, on like TV or things like that. It's like, you got to like look on their phone and like see who they're talking to. It's like, 
gosh. Like if, if there isn't enough trust to be able to have a direct conversation, like with a person, it seems like already the relationship is failing. And it's like no amount of like, like security vigilance is going to, to fix that. Like there's already some sort of deeper issue at play. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you need some deep therapy together and separately in order to get to a place of trust and, um, just feeling like you can live lives without being in this cage, you know, that's what it feels like. And, um, I know they're not to like put down any type of, um, therapy or anything, but there are even therapists that will recommend that, you know, like if somebody has had an affair or something and in order to make the other partner feel better then you know, they should have access to passwords and be able to look at phones and text messages and emails and all of that. And it's like, well, if they really want to hide something, they're just, they're going to find other ways to go about it. Right. Like if somebody is just dead set on cheating and having an affair, they're going to do it regardless of you looking at their phone and their emails or not. I think the bottom line for me that is really like, if I do not feel safe enough in a relationship, like I really genuinely trust the person, like it's not the relationship for me. It just, it just isn't. Um, I mean, I heard you talk, you know, I, I do think that it's possible that people can overcome some sort of thing in the past, you know, by both devoting to deep work, you know, you talked about having them go to therapy together and individually. And I think that that's, that that's possible. And there might be some circumstances where like, that's the pathway forward, provided both people choose that and want to move forward. And I know for myself, if there's already such a break of trust, like that to me is a direct indicator that this is not the right relationship for me. Yeah. I mean, some people, I, I totally get though, like having a long marriage possibly where there's children, where there's a lot of law intertwined financially, you've intertwined your, your families together. You've got all these friends together. You've built a whole life together and it can make it really feel like, okay, I want to do some work to try to salvage this. Um, you know, and I definitely can see that perspective and respect that. And I've helped a lot of guys that are in that type of situation where they feel like, you know, I don't, I don't want to just walk away from this. Like there's enough, there's enough good here. I've even had some guys say like, look, I get this isn't great, but compared to what I've had in the past, it's so much better. And I don't want to start over again. And I mean, to go through divorce and, you know, custody arrangements and all of that, like the toll there is massive. And so I definitely can see that perspective of like, all right, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to try to fix this and to salvage this. Um, you know, so I respect that as well. Yeah, I can totally, I can totally see that. Um, as being, as, as being, I mean, willing, willingness and like the other piece is like really being able to gauge, like, is the other person also willing? Like, are they also committed? Because one thing I do know that I've, participated in myself is like been the person who's really wanting to fix the things and like sort it out. And if the other person is not willing to do that and like move forward in a, in a positive and progressive way, I mean, it just seems like, at least to me, it just seems like delaying the inevitable Um, because one, one person cannot hold up an entire healthy relationship. It really does take um, everybody uh, being committed to creating growth. Right. Yeah, definitely. And if it's a controlling and abusive relationship, then, and the other person isn't willing to do the work to change, then um, the healthiest option absolutely is to 
to end it. And as much as it sucks to go through everything that comes with ending a relationship and trying to, you know, become untangled (laughs) from this person, uh, it's the only healthy option. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's so much around all of this and we just did the tip of the iceberg today, but I think it was a good conversation and to end like on a happier note, what can, what can a wonderful relationship feel like? And so I'm excited to talk about that a little bit. Um, my friend, our friend Tori Feldman has been on the show before um, and I did an interview with her and I loved one post that she did on her Instagram a couple months ago and it was titled wound mates versus soul mates and uh, a wound mate as she describes it is um, the relationship feels addictive versus a soulmate, the relationship feels healing. Um, one just kind of disclaimer here, I don't use the word soulmate. I like how Tori is has this, you know, kind of contrasting idea that she's putting here, woundmates versus soulmate, and it's cute, and I understand what she's saying. I personally don't believe in soulmates, and I think that often what we consider to be a soulmate is typically a wound mate instead. Um, But I think the positive spin that she's putting here uh, makes a a really good perspective. So a soulmate relationship feels healing. Uh, A wound mate, they are, wound mates are connected based on trauma and soulmates are connected based on shared values. Wound mates, you seek to fix or save each other soulmates you seek to empower each other wound mates are intoxicating chaotic unpredictable soulmates are grounded consistent and full of curiosity wound mates reflect unhealthy dynamics with parents and soulmates relationship is consciously co-created and tended to so I thought those were really sweet. Yeah, I really love that also about the conscious co-creation. Like for me, healthy relationship really depends on a shared vision. Um, so it's like values. And for me, it's like a vision of like, well, what do we want out of this relationship? You know, what? how are we here for each other? And really consciously uh, creating that because for me it's also important that it be that that it be allowed to be outside of the norms right it's like the the things that just ev- like society expects or like whatever's become the cultural norms i think that's one of the things that lets these kinds of shadow versions of relationships play out because there's these unspoken expectations or roles in that relationship and so it people like let it perpetuate. And I think that when we create a relationship, we're like, actually, like, this is what our relationship looks like. We get to author this, we get to co-author and co-create this with our partners. Like that's something that is, that can help create so much healing. Like if we actually talk about it and get very explicit about what it is that we want and who we are and who are our, our, our our partner is like, that's the biggest opportunity uh, for healing and growth, whether it be, you know, a short, medium or long-term kind of relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the, the idea too, of you seek to empower each other, right? And is that, that's really important. Like, are you encouraging each other? Are you empowering each other? Are you excited about what you, what your partner has going on? And like, do you want to encourage them into greatness? And um, are you, does the relationship feel healing? That's so important. Like my most transformative, profound 
relationship was one that felt incredibly healing. And like so much of the trauma that I had from the previous controlling relationship that I was in um, came from being in this relationship where there was just unconditional love. And that was so incredibly healing. And, you know, do you have shared values? Like a lot of people do have the trauma bonding in a relationship and uh, that's something to be aware of and be cautious of. Like, are you connecting to somebody based on your trauma? Um, Or are you connecting because you're excited about similar things and um, you're lit up about sharing your life with somebody that has similar values to you. I love that, Sarah Rose. I feel like this episode, we could just go so much deeper in talking about each of these aspects, Um, but I feel like this is a really great um, overview and a really great um, opportunity for us to really look. It's like, you know, how am I showing up in my relationships? How am I developing a, a broader community of relationships? And, you know, am I working out or working through uh, some traumas? Absolutely. And thank you, Erin, for joining me today. I think that was a great topic conversation. You always have amazing insight. I love and adore you. Oh, thanks, Sarah Rose. It's my pleasure. I love you too. I love being with you on this show and helping contribute um, to this beautiful audience of people who are interested in conscious sex. And that is Sex and Sarah Rose. Hey, it's Sarah again. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out the links in the show notes for everything we discussed in this episode. And you can also find out about how you can work with me. Until next time, lovers. Down tonight.